With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning, Prince George. I hope everyone is staying warm and cozy and uh, in the midst of this uh, cold snap here with this, our second uh, second of the year. I think we had a bit of a cold snap earlier, either October or November, if memory serves me correctly. But anyway, I do have a guest who is actually not in the city today. She is in warmer, I think, Vancouver, right, Sarah? Yeah, that's right, although it's feeling cold to us down here, but uh, sun's shining. <laughs> okay, all <laughs> so right. So maybe zero. <laughs> uh, well, we have sunshine too, but at uh, whatever it is, it's minus 30 or 28, um, it feels chilly still. Um, so Sarah Weber is my guest. Sarah is CEO of, of C3 Alliance Corporation, uh, and you're the group that runs uh, a Natural Resource Forum here in Prince George. So welcome. Come, Sarah. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, really glad to be here. Okay, so um, do you want to start? Um, so, yeah, so I'll ask first, Sarah. What made you interested in putting on this forum? Like, how did you how did you get to that spot where where you're doing that here in Prince George? Well, so actually, it was Pat Bell that first started the uh, the forum back in uh, 2000 and. Uh, Oh my gosh! Well, we're at twenty-one years, so <laughs> my math's a little slow this morning. But um, yeah, it was just, anyway. So it was, it was kind of Pat Bell's brainchild to uh, to bring people together to talk about uh, the local region and economy and and projects. And I think you know, in the early days, it was about you know a few hundred people would get together and uh, and you know, and it was popular. Um, but my background is I, I came through the mining sector, and I'm a geologist by training and, you know, I've worked for a couple of different uh, groups and, you know, really realized the importance of getting, you know, government and Indigenous leaders, um, local government communities, um, all on board having conversations about how to move projects forward. And so, you know, we're, what's really attracted me to the National Resources Forum in, in Prince George, which is what has helped our group really build, you know, build it to where it's pretty much a sold-out event today is, you know, is, is bringing so many different people together and to talk about these tough things. And the real sweet spot about the conference that's next week is that it's all of the different uh, interest groups. So we've got forestry, we've got um, energy, and then, of course, the subsectors of energy, including electrification, like hydroelectricity and oil and gas, natural gas, now hydrogen is part of the conversation, and we've got mining and, you know, indigenous leaders talking. So it's, uh, you know, it's a real cross-section, and it's complex, right? I think we all know that developing research projects in BC is complex, and so having all the people, you know, that are involved in the land and not just talking to them one at a time, is it's been sort of the sweet spot that this conference has filled. Yeah, and that's something that um, that I think is is really important. And it's that, you know, we we sort of think that we can. I, I know during and sorry, this to be uh, the first natural resource forum that I attended was in 2020, and then and that was January, and then of course the pandemic hit, and and so um, I think did you miss one or two years? 
Yeah, we put two on virtually. Yeah, right, we, right. But what's missing there is that ability to connect, right? And that's that's what I saw coming back um, last year. Uh, I was there, and it's like, wow, just the amazing amount of connections that people make, and those connections like that, those face to face connections and conversations are are really important. And uh, and I think that it tells the story of why this continues to be a sold out event. And I, um, so can you tell me a little bit about, about the lineup? Like, is this only people from the North getting together or what's, what's happening with that? Like, how does that like, or does it attract people from the South? We we spend, you know, we spend all year long telling people that you ought to be in Prince George in January. And the first time someone hears that, they think we're joking, but then, uh, it is definitely known as the place to be in the province. Um, and, and also, from, from we have a lot of contingent uh, people from Calgary. So I'd say about 40% of, uh, of our attendees are from, you know, the lower mainland and, uh, and outside of the province, and then from all, all across the province as well. Okay. And so... So you, um, it's not just northern people. Then it's it's people from like we're we're sort of the north is sort of considered the place where you extract the resources from, and 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 then they're developed further in other places. So it's it's attracting all all of the sectors then involved in 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 the export in the in the export industry as well. I would assume. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's from you know people are looking at the entire supply chain from, you know, from extraction and development, transportation, um, yeah, all the way to the ports. We're going to have a, a conversation um, on uh, exports, you know, where where do BC's products go and, and why, just as a, uh, you know, really hammer home the, the importance of the export economy to BC. Um, but also, you know, I, we've got so many great things in the lineup next week, I don't even know where to start. Uh, we have... <laughs> Probably one of our like pretty exciting um, panels that's going to kick us off is talking about LNG and uh, and that's the liquidified natural gas projects that uh, some of the nations are are working on in you know in terms with equity full equity partnerships. So, you know, Chief Counselor Crystal Smith from Heisla, Heisla are involved with Pembina and the Cedar LNG project. Um, the Nishka Nation just signed on with uh, Shell. In their key listens project, and so President Eva Clayton is also going to be speaking, and and uh, Karen Ogan, who leads up the um, First Nations LNG Alliance, and she's from the Wet'suwet'en community. So, you know, it's a pretty powerhouse panel that's going to be talking about the importance of of LNG to and the projects that they've developed with equity ownership. Um, you know, hitting the ground, what it's going to mean to their communities, and and what it's going to mean to the province as a whole. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting that's it is absolutely exciting and one thing that i really noticed last year was that there was there was a lot of um like the blueberry decision had just come down and so you know contrary to what often is i think at this point the industry is sort of where um like just the natural resources sector is just where we want some certainty and the blueberry decision gave some certainty and and then people can move on and and i and and i saw a lot of that but i but it it just it brought home to me how completely resilient people are and adaptable. And, uh, I just noticed a real sense, like a real optimism there. And people were just so excited. Well, I mean, you know, after a few years of virtually getting together, people were really excited to be there in person. But, but the, um, I, that was something that I, that really struck me was the optimism and the optimism, not just coming from, uh, from, 
you know, established industry, but new people and especially First Nations uh, enthusiasm. I mean, in many cases, they were they're actually part of the organizations that are presenting. Uh, part of the business uh, leadership there already, and uh, and then as as nations themselves, they're wanting to be t- uh, to be part of the conversations and engaging and seeing uh, the natural resource sector as something that is going to drive their uh, their economies and their communities and their uh, their bring up their their people into to being able to participate more fully in in our economy. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, with BC shining UNDRIP, um, we've seen a lot of, uh, yeah, of, of companies doing, you know, true, true partnerships. And, you know, it's, it's a challenging, it's challenging for every, um, every leader to balance the, uh, the economy and the environment. Um, and, you know, there's some leaders, Indigenous leaders that are making those you know, having those hard, hard conversations um, and, and finding out, like, okay, how can we, you know, make sure that a project is still economically viable, uh, still done in the best way, and then also, you know, how does that impact their connection to the land and, and to their local communities? So it's, um, yeah, it, it is very complex, but, you know, our goal our goal every year is with the forum is, um, is, is to bring people together and, and have them feel, leaving feel, being energized that, you know, it is tough work, but that, uh, you know, people, and I don't mean to sound too, like, rosy about it, but people are working together on it. There's a lot of great minds working <laughs> together. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's no there's no specific panacea, but at least you have to be in the same room to begin talking, right? And and this is what I see is the forum does so well. So Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, you were saying that you're selling out again nearly or or how does that work well we've never yes we are very close uh if, if not fully sold out at event capacity so we're um just reviewing our final numbers our meal events are sold out it's going to be pretty packed into capacity but the, the interesting thing too is though as we see more people come to town is there's more events happening around the forum that are planned this week oh. um that people will be attending so you know that's something that i think is pretty cool um I know that there's a few events that are happening on the Tuesday that are being uh, hosted by um, by local people. Uh, the city's putting or working with uh, some groups on a hydrogen uh, session or theme session for this being held at the House of Ancestors on Tuesday. That you know that's a, a side event that's independent of our conference. Um, UNBC is doing some lab tours, and yeah, there's some there's some neat things going on, which is which is great to see that. People are taking advantage of the fact that there's going to be so many different leaders in town and, uh, you know, trying to add on, add on to the conference, which I think just enhances it. Well, exactly. And, 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 and this year with it, it, it looks like, I think you had, you were saying that it looks like one of the first years that it's going to be pretty chilly. So all the work. <laughs> like since 2015, I've been coming up and for whatever reason, we've always gotten a nice little mild snap. That's a word. Well, during the week of the forum, and, you know, I look before and after, and it's like minus 20, minus 25. So, yeah, this is a week. It'll be, it'll test us for sure. But maybe that will keep the sidewalks nice and, uh, I don't know, compact and not slippery. This year, and not slippery. So. That's right. There is, there's a benefit to the cold. It's a dry cold. <laughs> that's what we keep telling yeah. ourselves. Yes. That's what, that's, that'll be our messaging. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I know we should probably put out an e-blast that says, Hey guys, everybody make sure you dress warm. <laughs> I don't know if everyone from Victoria is ready. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I think 
so you you said that there were other spin-off events happening um and you alluded to the fact that you were nearly sold out and and that your the meals um are sold out can people still get in if they want to like is there still an option to get in um yes although we are rev- today there is and we're reviewing if we're going to be taking on site registration okay. or not like that's how tight we are oh yeah. wow wow and this event is happening at the civic center that's, correct that's right yep at the civic center which um which yeah we love and uh it's it's great because we bring you know so many people into town we've got uh six different cabinet ministers coming bc cabinet ministers coming from victoria uh and the premier and so and and then all their staff so it's a great why this conference works so well in prince george is that uh it's just provides so many great networking opportunities and there's not you know it's not a huge town so people are around and they're you know they're committed to the couple days whereas you know if you go to an event in vancouver or, or bigger city toronto you know it's really hit and miss if you see people and they're the place is big and they're running off to other meetings so they're only attending these other events for an hour or two whereas right uh, yeah, I mean, okay. I think it's Bruce Ralston, who's one of our big fans, and he always says, like, it's where you can run into me in the hallway. <laughs> so. <laughs> it is, it is. Well, I would like to talk a little bit more about uh, the ministers that you have coming and the premier. So, um, but we, it is time for a break, so we'll be back. I'm talking with Sarah Weber of CEO of C3 Alliance Corporation, and we're talking about the National Natural Resources Forum that's happening here in our city next week. So, like I said, we'll be back after these messages. Hi, this is The Wolfman. Few entertainment genres have captured our imagination and been as successful as the good old-fashioned musical. From their vaudevillian roots to today's mega-productions, musicals have provided generations with a stream of memorable productions, show-stopping performances, and larger-than-life personalities. Join me for a unique adventure as we trip the light fantastic across more than a century of musical theater, from Broadway to the West End and all points in between. On with the show, Sunday afternoons at 4, only here on 93.1. CFIS-FM. Northern Health is taking actions to continue protecting people, communities, and the health care system this respiratory season by encouraging people in the North aged six months and older to get their COVID-19 and influenza vaccines. Visit getvaccinated.gov.bc.ca to get registered. Invitations will then be sent by email and text message with an invitation link to book your vaccine appointment. If you need help scheduling your vaccines, call 1-833-838-2323. Visit northernhealth.ca for clinic information in your community. Top three food-related New Year's resolutions for 2024. Resolution number two, eat what I enjoy eating without having to feel guilty. For this, come to Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery. Our cakes, pies, cheesecakes, and other baked goods are mouth-watering and bring our customers back again and again without regrets. It's a cafe and bakery like no other. For delicious, guilt-free baked treats, come to Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery. Next to Pharmasave at 7th and Quebec. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly sunny today. Winds from the northwest at 30 gusting to 50. A high of minus 28. A wind chill to minus 47 with frostbite in minutes. Tonight, a few clouds. Gusting northwest winds becoming light early this evening. A low of minus 35. A wind chill to minus 48 with frostbite in minutes. For Friday, sunny. Wind up to 15K. A high of minus 28. An afternoon wind chill to minus 33 with frostbite in minutes. 
keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back. I'm talking with Sarah Weber, the CEO of C3 Alliance Corporation, the uh, company that puts on the Natural Resource Forum here in Prince George next week, beginning, I believe, Tuesday, right? That's right. Yeah, we'll kick off uh, Tuesday. We've got a couple pre-conference uh, workshops, and then uh, we've got our Celebrating Natural Resources Banquet on Tuesday evening. Okay. So who have you got in the lineup? You were alluding earlier to uh, Bruce Ralston, Minister of Forests, um, but who? what's what's sort of the lineup uh, ministerial that, le- that we can expect? Uh, yeah, on the government side. So uh, Premier David Eby will be speaking at the banquet on the Tuesday evening. Um, and then we actually every year, which is pretty unique to this conference, we do have a resource minister's breakfast. Um, so kind of a fun event. It's on Thursday morning, and we actually have six ministers up on stage, uh, and they will be very uh, closely moderated by uh, Carolyn Chisholm, who's the uh, who's with Rio Tinto. And so those ministers include uh, Josie Osborne from from Energy and Mines and Low Carbon Innovation, uh, George Heyman from Environment. Bruce Ralston, as you mentioned, Murray Rankin from uh, MER, which is Indigenous Relations, Reconciliation, Nathan Cullen from Water, Land, and Resource Stewardship, and then Brandy Bailey from uh, JEDI, which is Jobs Economic <laughs> Development. So, yeah, it's going to be, uh, yeah, a, a minister uh breakfast. Um, and then, uh, yeah, some of our other keynotes include uh, Chief Trevor McAday from Doi River First Nation. Okay. Um, and... Uh, Doig, that's up. way up north. It is, yeah, yeah, part of Treaty Eight. Uh-huh. Um, so we're excited to see uh, to to hear him speak. Um, Rio Tinto has uh, one of their leaders, Andrew Zornahalen, um, doing a keynote as well. And uh, and actually, we also have Embridge uh, speaking with um, uh, with Carol, uh, sir, Cynthia Hansen, who's president of Gas Transmission Industry with Embridge. So yeah, it, it's going to be pretty um, exciting. Yeah. Oh, and I'd be remiss not to mention uh, that actually uh, PC Hydro's president and CEO Chris O'Reilly is going to be doing a, an extra fireside chat with uh, Minister Josie Osborne of uh, Emily. So, uh, you know, stay tuned. There's there's a lot of activity and a lot of people from those both that ministry and that NBC Hydro coming. So. Typically, there's a, there's a few announcements to keep your eyes open for. I, I'm not privy to knowing what they are, but just based on the number of people I see coming and questions about rooms and microphones, I, I feel like something exciting is going to happen next week. <laughs> okay. Uh, I believe I saw that you had a few federal, like there were some people from uh, the federal government as well, or, or represent representatives? Yes, that's right, actually. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. We've got um, uh, Minister Jonathan Wilkinson uh, coming up this year, which is which is great. We used to traditionally get the federal natural resources minister up, but since the pandemic, it seemed to fall by the wayside a little bit. But, um, yeah, Minister Wilkinson will be there all day Thursday and uh, yeah, providing a keynote, and I think he's around for, for media to scrum afterwards. So, um, And it, it's so important for the federal government to be present. So many of our processes are, are harmonized with the federal government yes. within the province. Yeah. Yes, and I believe, I think I saw uh, local MPs Todd Doherty and Bob Zimmer are there as well, correct? Yes, that's right. They'll be uh, doing some of the opening welcome comments along with uh, MLA Shirley Bond of uh, Prince George Elmont. Um, that's right. And, yes. and Mayor Simon Yu will also give some uh, opening regrets 
or not. <laughs> regrets. <I'm> welcome. He'll <laughs> <laughs> do the closing comments where he regretfully says that I can go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the um, um, and then but then okay. So that's the the speakers hall and and, and the banquet hall and and lunch hall or whatever. Uh, but then you also I think you've got a mat like you're. Like, there's not a lot of space there, but you also run a convention, like a, a, a vendor uh, show, yes, don't you? Yes, exhibit hall, that's right, yeah. So we've got about 70, um, 70 vendors, uh, both in part of the uh, the main, you know, the, we keep the main hall, exhibit hall open at one end of the uh, Civic Center there, and then uh, the foyer as well. So yeah, so though there's pretty um, bustling trade show, and, you know, pe- people keep coming back and saying that they've, uh, you know, they've met new business partners and finalized deals. And, uh, yeah, it's a great place for service and supply companies to be. Um, and then we're also, you know, we've tried to support a few partners. So um, we've got the Outland Youth Employment Program, which is the uh, which is an Indigenous-focused uh, training program that's going to be doing the silent auction on, uh, on Tuesday night and, and having a booth um, because, you know, I think we're trying – we all know where we keep hearing about the labor shortage and making sure that we've got uh, some trained um, trained people coming in. And, um, yeah, and, and then we also um, have the United Way of Northern BC and, and Prince George Hospice will be exhibiting as well. Okay, yeah. I, and I think that's something that I that I was really pleased to see last year was that hot like like the one that I saw and, and remembered noticing was a hospice house and uh, I asked the exhibitor look oh, okay this is an unusual thing and she said well yes but she said but it's you know everybody dies <laughs> we, we, we've got <laughs> we've got to put the word out there that we're here and and that we are here to help and and uh, and I think it's that's an especially apt thing. Um, you know, when you're living in the north and especially far away from uh, family supports and uh, and all of that, like the job training. So is there, do you know, is there a specific uh, session that the job training folks are doing or? No, we're not. We don't. It's such, we did uh, some workforce, um, a panel last year and we've, the demand to be on stage is so high this year. Um, we're more focused on uh, sustainability and um uh, uh, remediation and reclamation, uh, healing the land. We have a, we have a panel discussion on healing the land. Um, so stay tuned for next year on, uh, on workforce. But I know a lot of people are meeting separately on that, uh, on that issue. Okay. And that again speaks to the fact that you're bring that this event brings people from around the province and from across all the industries and, and, uh, and is just a really effective networking tool. I, I know that when I uh, when I first got onto council, like just the amount of uh, you know conventions that you know councillors are are asked to go to, and it's I mean they're really tiring events because there's so many people that you want to connect with. But uh, I think very useful for making those connections. Absolutely. Uh, so before we go, um, is there anything that you'd like to say to the like? Are are there opportunities for local businesses at this point to sort of um, provide services that maybe are missed that your your that you think convention goers uh, or you know forum attendees will would need. Well, I guess the thing that we're really want, just wanting to get the word out is that there's there is going to be this influx of probably an extra thousand people into town uh, between Tuesday and Thursday. So, if any restaurant owners can hear this, you know, please make sure you're you've got extra staff on um, because your restaurants are going to be full. Um, we're trying to call the cab companies just to say, hey, like every flight that lands, people are going to be looking to even share cabs, but you know, they're all going to be looking for cabs. Um, right. 
you know, even from Staples to, you know, to all the local businesses in the downtown area, I think they're going to see a bit of an influx of people looking to, you know, get last minute things printed, pick up things, um, yeah, all the things. So all the things. It's definitely <laughs> going to be, it's definitely going to be a busy week and, you know, I think restaurants that are, are ready to, um, yeah, provide service. I, I know a lot of groups have made a lot of reservations and things like that. So, and then I guess just, yeah, with, ask for patience uh, and hope that people don't get irritated that there's so many people with putting the demand on the services. <laughs> That's uh, right. But if you if you walk around, you just might see somebody that you recognize from the news, right? That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. If you hang around long enough, you will for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, I just really appreciate you taking the time. I know that you must be incredibly busy right now, but I am so pleased that you were able to join me this morning. So I uh, thank you again very much, Sarah, for coming on and we'll see you next week. Super. Well, thanks. It's been my pleasure. Take care. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. So um, after this, we're going to be back. I have as my next guest uh, another CEO, but this time of Exploration Place. (laughs) So it's a very different organization. I have uh, Tracy Caligeros joining us to talk about Little Prince. So we'll be back. The Caledonia Nordic Ski Club is excited to be hosting the prestigious Tech BC Cup January 27th and 28th. The event is a key competition for Nordic skiing enthusiasts and athletes from around the province. Skiers will compete in various categories, showcasing their skills and determination in this highly anticipated race. Full details on the Tech BC Cup and other exciting competitions coming to the Otway Trails are available under the events menu at caledonianordic.com. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open six days a week in the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Stop by and check out his great assortment of books, magazines, DVDs, and collectibles. Tuesday through Friday between 10 and 2. Ron's Hole in the Wall is also open during the Q3 Community Market, Saturday from 8.30 to 2. Drop in regularly as always something different in store. Ron's Hole in the Wall now open Tuesday through Saturday in the Q3 Creative Business Hub, downtown at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we are back now with, I'm very delighted to have Tracy Calageros from uh, Exploration Place. Welcome, Tracy. Good morning. Good morning. You are, this is not your first time here. Nope, it's not, but it's a cold morning to be here. <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> I know, I was just, uh, my first guest was from Vancouver and like, uh, yeah, okay, oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> 
But she's coming here next week, and we have some cold weather for her. It'll be good for her. But there's it, not too many radio stations where the host is in a winter coat. <laughs> no, and I'm sorry, and I I, sh- I could have taken it off, but uh, yeah, I am I am wearing it. Uh, well, I, I have my hat because once you put a hat on, like that's it for that's your it hair. for the day. Yep. That's it for the day. So, um, but thank you, uh, thank you for coming in, and um, thank you for. I, I I just have to say, as a as a as a resident, just thank you for what. Exploration Place has done for the Little Prince over the last many years. You're very welcome. And I know it's not a one-man show. There's a lot of people behind the scenes. So mm-hmm. maybe can you tell me, let's start off talking a little bit about that, like a little bit of the history of how come, uh, why is Little Prince, like how did he, how did he, um, Little Dinky get a, ended up in that area? Like what, how did he end up there? Sure. Um, well, the, the Dinkies, most folks know that he was brought up to build the Grand Trunk Pacific. Um, so actually used. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like the train what? that we're riding here in the park was actually used to take men and materials to the railhead when they were building the main lines. Okay, so that was a, like that's a small track though, right? Right. It's 24 inches and they would lay the 24 inch track between the main line tracks and that way you could run this they were called floating track so this train could run back and forth as they were putting the big tracks in and putting in the proper ties and rail. Okay, so running ahead of the actual the main line as it was being constructed. Okay, so um, and it was hauling Wood and men and materials, it, it, everything, because you figure they'd have a camp in town, but they're yes. building maybe 10 or yes. 20 miles out. So that little train is what took everybody out there every day. And there were five of them, actually, in the north that were working on all of the various rail lines. So the one that we have is sort of an amalgam. The guys in the 70s, when it was donated to the city, they took bits and pieces from all over, put it together, and put this running train on the tracks for the citizens of Prince George. So that's really how it got to be here. It came as a workhorse to do its job, and this one, some part of it, was there when they drove the last spike on the Grand Trunk Pacific. So when I tell people it's a really important Canadian artifact, it, it is. legitimately is. Yes. It was there when the rail tied the country together. And there's stories to be told, good and bad, Yes, all about the development of Canada. But I mean, history is not what we choose it to be. It is just what it is. That's absolutely right. History is history. And when you talk about it, you need to be able to tell the whole story. Yeah. And having that train, it's a fun thing. You know, Exploration Place, you go back to 2000 when we first rebranded and became this museum science center approach, hands-on. Living heritage, living history, that's how you get people engaged yes. in what did come before. Yes. It's way cooler to ride that train around the park than it is to just look at a train sitting on rails, not way running. Way cooler. And way cooler. You can't beat it with kids. No. So, you know, it's one of those objects that just, it speaks to the development of rural Canada in general. Mm-hmm. Well, Canada. And specifically to Prince George as a transportation hub. So it's, I believe, as a museum person, as someone who's been collecting for a lot of years, that train has to be the most significant artifact we have in the city. Wow. That's, 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 (laughs) that's saying a lot. It is. It's Um, a big statement and I stand behind it. In terms of post-contact developmental artifacts, that is the most important one here. Yeah. And, and it highlights the need to, to make sure that it doesn't go by the wayside. Um, because that is our job. I mean, we're, um, who are we if we don't preserve history? I know that sometimes, you know, when you're walking around in Europe, you go, Oh my goodness, the way to preserving history, because there's so much, right? Mm. But, but I mean, you have to start at some point, And I think you make an excellent argument for Little Prince. So, uh, just tell me, how did he end up in Clayton Tanay Memorial Park? Like, how was that dis- location decided? Harold Moffat was the mayor when it was donated by CN to the city. And I, I have no paperwork on how 
the location was chosen. My guess would be that it was the prime, premier city park. They had room, and that just seemed like a logical place to put the, the little prints when they were first building it. And that was before Exploration Place, right? That's right. They started that construction at the same time as they were starting work on trying to find a home for a museum. Pre-Exploration Place, the Fraser Fort George Museum had sort of bounced around in town. So they built the best fake fort that anybody could build, because there was never actually a fort here with a palisade. But they built this wood museum with a palisade around it, and the train rent in and out of it around. But the museum burned to the ground in 76. Okay. (laughs) And so the uh, train was really the only survivor of what happened in that fire in that winter. So we rebuilt in 81 as the Fraser Fort George Museum, and that was the core of the building that you guys all see today. And then we added 13,000 feet and wrapped it in 2001 and rebranded as the Exploration Place, but we're still the museum. Our core society is the Fraser Fort George Museum Society as an independent charity, and we've continued our collecting work. So then flash forward to 2009, and that's when the city approached us because the train had been running for a long time in the hands of what was called the Fort George Railway Society. And they'd been a fairly active group all through the 80s and even into the 90s, but it had petered off as all things do. And with Heritage Rail in particular, it's an aging group of people that were interested in it. Um, We now have a lot of young folks getting very interested in our train, but Heritage Rail as a general thing is aging out. The guys that run it are just too old to run it, which is what happened with Ron Walker. His health failed him. He couldn't continue to give to the city the way he had been for decades. Mm -hmm. And so the train was off the rails. The city didn't really have another option. We were the ones in close proximity, and so they came to us to run it. Um, And once you've established a railroad, there's no moving it. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. So so there was a society that was owned, they owned and operated it? They didn't own it. I think they operated it the same way we do. The city has always owned the artifact. Okay. But the Fort George Society formed its own society at some point, and they were a non-profit, so they were registered with the BC Society's people. And they had amassed, when we took it over, there was somewhere in the neighborhood, don't quote me, around $40,000 that they had in the bank. And that $40,000 went 100% into track repairs. And we also had to find a steam whistle to actually get the train, not steam whistle, sorry, a steam injector to get the train running again. And that's why it took us from 09 to 2012 to get it back on the tracks. That and writing track standards and getting it up to um, 2012 standards. Oh, instead so he, was, of, he was actually shut down during that period. He was. He was off the rails, I want to say for five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fort George Railway Society had taken them off the rails thinking they had a leak. It turned out it wasn't a leak. It was just condensation. But as soon as it came off the rails and wasn't commissioned every year, it lost its grandfathered status. So in order to restart it, we had to hit 20, 2009 Canadian passenger rail rules, which, wow, that is a thing to do. Ooh. Oh, okay, so not to belabor the past, but if that had been able to be maintained, it would cost less to run it now? Probably, because we would still be running under the old... The grandfathered. ...terms, yeah. Now, I suspect that the safety authority would have stepped in at any point and said, look, this is a passenger railroad. Yeah. I sign a document every year that says I am the executive taking responsibility for the any risk and for the safety of the railroad. It, it, we are... Just like Via, it's amazing. Folks think that it's this little toy train, but <laughs> the audits I go through and the cost of insurance and the training that all of the staff have to go through, it's a big deal. So to, that's where when I was talking to council the other night, it, um, 
at least having the 25000 in the budget for this year, even if we didn't run it, I can do all its tests, pay all its fees, and keep it registered um, so that it doesn't lose its status as it is right now. Okay. All right. Well, that... Um That brings us to your presentation at Council, so we'll talk about that after these messages. Sounds good. Get creative with LEGO at both branches of the Prince George Public Libraries. LEGO time is held Monday from 3 to 5 at the downtown branch and Tuesdays from 3 to 5 at the Nechaco branch. It's a chance for those ages 5 to 18 to get together for some creative fun with other LEGO enthusiasts. The library supplies the LEGO, you supply the imagination. Lego time at the downtown branch of the public library on Monday from 3 to 5 and at the Nechaco branch on Tuesdays from 3 to 5. The Seniors Resource Centre has plenty of programs and support services for those 55 plus. An affordable lunch can be delivered through Meals on Wheels, non-medical needs can be covered through Better at Home, and the Housing and Community Navigator can help locate housing and other valuable resources. Call 250-564-5888 for more information or stop by the Prince George Council Seniors Resource Centre between 9 and 3, Monday through Friday at 1335th Avenue. This season's Cold Snap Music Festival is February 2nd to 10th. Check out the schedule and lineup of exceptional performers at coldsnapfestival.com. Then mark your calendar for the concerts and free daytime ice jams and workshops you want to attend. Concert tickets are also available. Kicking off with the Friday Night Cold Snap Cabaret and finishing with a Saturday Cultural Confluence, the 2024 Cold Snap Winter Music Festival, February 2nd to 10th, around Prince George. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly sunny today, winds from the northwest at 30 gusting to 50, a high of minus 28, a wind chill to minus 47 with frostbite in minutes. Tonight, a few clouds, gusting northwest winds becoming light early this evening, a low of minus 35, a wind chill to minus 48 with frostbite in minutes. For Friday, sunny, wind up to 15K, a high of minus 28, an afternoon wind chill to minus 33 with frostbite in minutes. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we are back on the air. I'm talking to Tracy Calajeros of uh, Exploration Place, talking about Little Prince and preserving our Little Prince. Um, And uh, so you made a presentation at Council. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you just maybe give us a little bit of a recap and sort of what you thought of the questions and feedback you got? Sure. Uh, um, yeah, the idea was really to come into council and let city council know that the train is, you know, needs to be dealt with. Um, so I was telling them that really what we're looking for is that $100,000 a year in operating funds to be committed, preferably on a three to five year commitment, simply because having multi years of commitments is much better when you're talking about planning with staffing and all of the rest of it. Um, so that's the, the key piece that is in play. And I believe that Councillor Frizzell had modified an initial motion on that to see that information from staff will come back to council in time for budget consideration, at least on that 100,000 request. Yes, yes. And then the other two pieces are um, a capital reserve, which I just think is best practice. Uh, I'm not asking for that money to be held at Exploration Place, but it would eliminate these kinds of urgent conversations. It's not like I'm going to be able to say that train's going to break down in six years and I'm going to need money for this. Mm-hmm. It's just going to break down. Yes. And then you got to figure out how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if the city builds up a reserve specifically for that little prince, then this comes off the table as a uh, an emergency fix every year. Mm. The other piece that has to happen is that 
um, the work shed and storage area for the train is completely substandard, not just for the artifact itself, because it doesn't control humidity at all. It's full of water and ice. But for the human beings that are actually in there working on that train, it, it doesn't hit any of the work and safety standards. Uh, so it's it's really unsafe. So what are people doing right now to make to remain safe? I mean, you mentioned mold. Yeah. Uh, are they just sort of trying to keep the doors open, that kind of thing, That's when they're right. working on it? We keep the doors open if they're spending a lot of time in there, particularly when things are damp. The museum staff come out and we push the train out as okay. a group because, yeah. of course, it doesn't have an engine, right? You have to fire it up if you want to move it. So we'll sometimes we've pulled it out with staff vehicles and then we all get out and we'll push it all back in when they're oh, done. Oh, seriously, you've got to get some news coverage of that. It's pretty entertaining, <laughs> and I'm sure there is because we've done it with um, well with the wood as well. When the wood gets delivered or we go and pick wood up, it gets we dump it in a, a trailer out the back of the train shed, and then all the staff come out and we carry armloads and you walk up one side, put it down, hop the train, walk back out the other side. And it's so it's where, a process. Where is the wood stored? In the same building the as same the building. train. Oh, okay. And because there's not much storage, it means that we can't just get a stockpile of dry wood. We have to constantly be bringing it in all summer. And there's a great woman whose name's escaping me right now because menopause is a thing, um, who donates wood to us. And okay. she's out there cutting it and getting it all ready and splitting it. She's amazing. <laughs> um, so we go up and pick the wood up and bring it down. And But it, it's still, it doesn't have a spot to live in the park. And I can't just leave a big pile of wood in the park. That no. wouldn't be safe. No. So, yeah, it's, it's a process. Um, the city did have a building on the books pre-COVID. There was, I think it was in the unfunded capital program for 2020. Yeah, you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. I've seen elevations, and I had nothing to do with them. So that was done by city. Huh. Um, and then it came off the capital plan in 2020. So somehow, it like that wasn't a council motion, I would expect. Well, it was on the unfunded. So I'm assuming if it's on the unfunded, it doesn't require a motion because you could just drop it off and right, then it doesn't Because show council up. hadn't decided that, yes, we will. Oh, That's case. right. You guys were in the process of getting the drawings and all the rest of it set up. Um, and because the park is an archaeological site, there are some other considerations when you talk about doing any kind of building. Um, but however you look at it, something's got to happen with that building itself. And, you know, I think my sense when I left council at that meeting was that everybody on council wants the train to mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that... Uh, it's unrealistic to think that we can have the train and not pay for it. Um, <laughs> you was, say, that was one of the councillor's comments with a giggle, I'm sure. But it's still it, really the city's been getting that now with twenty five thousand dollars a year that the city pri- provides towards it. That hasn't changed since mm-hmm. we took this over. So even just inflation would make a difference on that. But the yes. city's been getting twenty five cent dollars out of the exploration place for all the years we've been running it. And, you know, you show me another city supplier or contractor that gives you that kind of value for dollar. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, like so many people, like when we're looking at the budget and it, and it is coming up, there's a lot of items on there and you go, okay, this or Little Prince. And I think, and that I think will be the decision, decision that, uh, that, uh, that council will have to make. And I, and I think it rests rightly there because, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, whatever else we can do, whatever, you know, if, if somebody resurrects something like the Railway Society. Yep. Um, right. This brings me to the other question I had. So is the, is Exploration Place, do you think that's the best operation, um, organization to do the operating of it? Right now, I think we're the only option. Okay. But 
I am not at all opposed to folks getting together, forming a society and taking the train on. Like this is not something that the museum wants ownership of. We like the fact that it operates in yes. the park. It's definitely a draw. Those Thursday nights with the guys from the Cruising Classics and that train running and selling ice cream out of Origins Kitchen last year, it was great. And we're going to do the same thing this year. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to own the train to do that. Right. Um, we worked in partnership with the uh, Fort George Railway Society while they were running the train, and we would book school programs for them. There's lots of opportunity there. Okay. Um, okay, so, th- so that would not be, that's not a new idea. Like, that has been done in the past. It has been done in the past, and like I said, if someone wanted to take it on, I am. I have all of the forms, all of the paperwork, but they'd have to go through the process of getting registered as a railway, which right now the museum is registered as right. a Canadian railroad. right. So I think I don't think you'd get that done in the, before this season, but mm-hmm. we certainly could have a transitional season where someone else took yeah. it on. What's the what's the benefit? Well, I mean, you sort of already said it, but I mean, it is an artifact, artifact mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and you are a museum. So Correct. to me, that would ju- that just makes a lot of sense uh, because of that. Um, the what about in terms of uh, access to people running it? Because you had in at uh, at council meeting on Monday there were. Six, seven people with conductor's hats. Now, yep. are they all... Are all the they... guys that were there in the coveralls with yes. the, the stripy hats, yes. those guys are all, um, almost all of them are licensed. I think there's two of them that still need to do their foot plate test this spring. Okay. But it's the most engineers we have ever had. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of interest there. A lot of interest. So are these staff and, members or are they just... Uh, they're all... paid in the summer. Okay. So they the old guys that were behind me, um, none of them work for me day to day they okay. work through the summer okay frank was there and he's the one that i've been saying would come back to run the train right um but then i also have there's a young woman who right now is on maternity leave and she's actually my niece and she has qualified to run the train and very young it's really cool to have a lady running the train and the little girls that ride the train love it yeah and um steve Karras, who's currently managing my visitor services he had almost licensed for the train about 10 years ago before he moved to calgary he's now come back so he oh, also wow. wants to license another guy in his 50s that is interested so we've got some generational change there too where we've got the old guys that have that first-hand experience and they're training the young ones that are coming up so that's where i alluded to the idea that we've started to extend the life of the heritage railway into the next generations whereas a lot of the other ones out there are dying for lack of interest okay well that is actually uh, a really hopeful note and we'll pick up on that after these messages Registration is now open for the BC Indigenous Swimming Development Camp. The two-day camp is being held March 23rd and 24th at the Quinell Recreation Centre in Quinell. Indigenous youth ages 10 through 18 from all levels of the sport are invited to participate. Registration and full details are available through the Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity and Recreation Council's website at ispark.ca. The registration deadline for the BC Indigenous Swimming Development Camp is March 19th. Indoor public skating season is on through March at Kopar Memorial Arena and the Elk Center. Sessions are available Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Private rental times are also available for birthday parties and special events. Full details and more information can be found under the Programs menu at thenorthedge.co. Whether you're an expert skater or a beginner, indoor public skating is open for you Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at Kopar Memorial Arena or the Elk Center. There are so many ways to enjoy the great taste of Boston pizza, it's hard to keep track. You can dine in at either Prince George location, Central Street West, or Vance Road. You can order your delicious meal with pickup at either location or arrange it to be delivered hot and fresh. Not sure what to order? 
Check the menu out online at bostonpizza.com. Boston Pizza, two locations in Prince George on Central Street West and Vance Road. Hi, I'm Darren Guest from Northland Dodge. People hate buying cars. I hate buying cars. If you're holding off buying because you don't want to deal with the hassle, I'm here to make it easy for you. Northland Dodge has more trucks in stock than we have had in the past three years. Plus, we have a huge assortment of awesome used trucks and SUVs. No pressure, no hard sell. Stop by for a coffee and I'll help you find the vehicle that's right for you. I'm Darren Guest, Northland Dodge, dealer number 30541. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right. We're back. We're talking about Little Prince. And uh, during the break, Tracy said one of the most common questions she gets is, well, have you thought of writing a grant? (laughs) (laughs) So let's answer that question. Okay, people, listen up. Tracy, have you ever thought of writing a grant? (laughs) Well, you know, the the ideas crossed my mind from time to time. Okay. (laughs) Uh, we have written a number of grants, okay. and we've been turned down twice uh, from the Gaming Capital grant, specifically for the train shed idea. Um, we've also been turned down by CN on their community fund, I want to say three times, but for sure twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have sought funding for this through Canadian Heritage. We tried to get funding for it tied to other things we were doing at the museum, and we keep coming up empty-handed. Um, I think part of the problem is that I don't actually own it um, oh. because the city owns it. And once they start asking questions, there's many grants that a municipality wouldn't be eligible for. So that is the argument sometimes where you'd be better off to have a society it's running it. it. Ah. Um, but my like owning board, it, like they need to own the whole thing. They need ah. to own the track and the building and the train in order to be eligible for all the grants that are out there and the gaming ones in particular. Now, I think, I don't know whether municipalities are eligible for gaming capital or not, but that's the one that keeps turning me down. And I always just try and avoid mentioning who owns the train and... I think they eventually figure it out while I'm trying to get them to fund it. So that could be, and I shouldn't, I should know the, that answer, but I don't know. So the long and the short of it is that yes, you have asked frequently for many different grants, mm-hmm. and at this, have you ever gotten grants? Uh, we have gotten some summer student money towards the train. Um, we've certainly found individual corporate sponsors over the year. If you go and have a look at the fence in front of where folks line up, there's bubbles on that fence, and all of those are local sponsors where they've come and donated either services in kind or some cash. Um, and there's volunteers that work on that train all the time. There's a, a guy named Russ Plamondon that comes in, and he's an old carman from CN. Oh, he was actually BCR. He'll come and work on our passenger cars for us. There's folks always wanting to help. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't have volunteers driving it. Right. Uh, the, the public safety just too, yeah, because too big an issue. Yeah, because you actually have to have um, licenses yeah. and, and et cetera. Because even my engineers have said that, you know, well, we'll just run it. I said, well, I can't let you because that will violate some of my insurance and it violates some of the rules around Transport Canada. So they have to be paid when they're running the train. Okay. Um, so one other thing... Um, so we okay. So we've put to death the the whole grant. Yes, they've tried grants. They yep. have been coming up empty. Okay. So what um, now is the public interested? What are you charging these? Like, what were you charging per ride last year? And, oh, and did sure. you have people show up for riding? Ask me a question. I don't have the number on top of my head. I want to say it's four ninety five for an adult to ride. Okay. Uh, we did in excess of twenty five thousand rides last year, just operating on um, the Thursdays. Okay. 
Uh, there are kids' rates and seniors' rates as well, and it's very well subscribed. I think, you know, there's years where we've tried running it seven days a week. We've tried selling memberships on it. We've done a bunch of different things to try and figure out what the best model is to generate enough revenue to support it with only 25000 coming from the city. And really, until last year where we cut it back and ran only one day, um, that's the first year that we haven't lost money. And if I'd had to do significant track repair or anything on the train, that 17000 would have been wiped out immediately yes, anyway. Yeah. Not to mention it doesn't include my time or John's time because yeah. we're just paid by the museum. So I don't factor that into the right. Fort George Railway budget. Yeah. Would, but that would... That would... Would that sort of be considered part of your work as a museum? Because yes, yeah, because well, it was, it is. because we took that contract on. Yes, that's part of that, but, right? But when, but it's not in the figures. No, and it's also not like when you're thinking about if you wanted to switch it to somebody else to run it. Yeah, it's close to I would say a half time position just to deal with the paperwork. Wow, it's a crazy amount of paperwork. If you're going to do it properly as mm-hmm. a passenger rail. You've got circulars coming out of Transport Canada and the Safety Authority every week. And mm-hmm. you've got to review them all and see how that fits with the Heritage Railway and then fit that into the yard that we are. There's, It's an amazing amount of work. <laughs> I took art. You know, I uh, I was not intending to end up as the CEO of a railroad. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So, I mean, but what a thing. What mm-hmm. a thing. Uh, what about buy-in from the community? Uh, I know that you said that you had 25,000 rides last year. Mm-hmm. That was very good even just running that one day. Um, is the buy-in fairly diverse across the community, or does it just oh. target a specific demographic? It's everybody. I mean, you can't beat little kids in trains. Yeah. So those are the folks that come, and they'll ride and ride and ride because, you know, the, the daughter or the son just won't get off the train. But what always surprises me is how many, particularly seniors, on their own come to ride the train just with mm. a friend or even the, the long-haul tourists that come in, and they bring cameras and videos if you search on youtube you will find all of these videos of people that have shot the train it's nothing to do with us but they have shot so much footage folks will come and spend the whole day just watching the train riding the train talking to the engineers trains are a thing for some folks and people will travel all over the world and this train actually runs on steam yes it's like wood you you talked about the wood earlier and Mm -hmm. it's like it it is actually powered by steam. Oh, yeah. It's a big boiling kettle, essentially. And that steam is what provides all of the energy and the propulsion for it. So it's it's a legitimate steam engine. It's a heritage steam ticket that my engineers have and my firemen have. And we are licensed as a heritage passenger railway. Wow. So have... Um, have and so now I'll ask you another question, dumb question. <laughs> but have CNC or UNBC, has there ever been any interest or thought to collaborating with them? CNC was involved at the beginning because I believe it was CNC that built the passenger cars in the 70s, right from scratch. Um, beyond that, I haven't gone back talking to CNC. I've seen some comments online, actually, with some of the media coverage mm-hmm. from this, where there's been talk about getting some of them involved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly uh, Pioneer Rail, before they were done doing their um, uh, rail inspections, mm-hmm. they used our site as a training spot for a lot of their rail staff when they were first coming on. Because we're a yard, because we're a smaller gauge, it yes. was more feasible. And Pioneer Rail used to donate that. Wow. So, you know, there's there's certainly opportunities yes. and I'm happy to work with anybody. Is is there a possibility to um and I know we're just we've got a minute left here for um 
casting of parts because I mean a lot of these this is cast metal correct oh yeah it would be uh, cast iron you're getting into John's territory here okay. though <laughs> um, it's mostly the steam things that are the problems right okay. when, when one of the steam parts fails there just isn't one on a shelf okay yeah all right well Tracy I really appreciate that so much that you came in and, and on sh- such short notice. Oh, thanks for having me. Always happy to and, talk. And so let's hope then that we can uh, have uh, Little Prince up and running this year. And we haven't even talked about the fact that we we have a um, a a Prince George now in who is, and we should actually be inviting him to come <laughs> to the city of Prince George. And then we need him to be on Little Prince. There wouldn't, we go. Look that, at that. <laughs> that would just be a fun thing. And, it would and, be. And, uh, you know, we have to, we would actually have to do that before he gets too old because it would be Little Prince, you know, we have to do that while he's still little. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, thank you so much for all the work that you have done and keeping this little bit of, uh, heritage alive and, and uh, your part in it and of course all of the people that are involved in getting those licenses and the volunteer work and everything it's very valuable that team is really who deserve all the the cred I just sit around and jot people like you and try and get funded okay (laughs) all right okay that is it for today Uh, join us tomorrow for after nine with the Friday's political panel with Rez Krebs After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10 and for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at yahoo.ca. This is 93.1 CFISFM Prince George, proudly supported by community-minded organizations like Trout Creek Collaborative Solutions, facilitating informed natural resource management decision-making.